Hi. Hi, y'all. My name's Mark. So on three, tell me your name. One, two, three. Good to meet you. Awesome. Awesome. So I am Mark. I have the privilege of being a part of the teaching team, of which is very cool. One of the reasons why I like coming to church here is because there's not just one talking head up here week after week. Instead, the joy is spread amongst a whole bunch of different men and women, which is a great, great thing. You get to hear the, the ideas about the word just from different voices, different lives, different, different ways that people read the Bible and whatnot. So uh, I have the privilege today of closing the book of Mark. So we are going to be looking at chapters 15 and 16 today. I had the privilege of opening the book of Mark uh, chapters 1 and 2. It just seemed appropriate that I do that today. Somebody thought I should dress up in a robe and wear sandals and pretend that I was Mark, the author, and kind of do it from that perspective. But I'm not that creative, Dusty, and, but thank you for that, for that great idea. Um, just, I, I tried something out the other day. I, I put all my wrist watches together and I made a belt. I made a belt. <laughs> Out of all my wristwatches, it was a complete waste of time. <laughs> so this year, 2023, we have gone through a series, as it were, entitled Come With Me, all about Jesus calling disciples, calling people to walk a different kind of life, maybe a new way of thinking, new way of doing things, learning what it means to be a disciple, learning what it means to walk with him. But he has been beckoning us to come with him and, and try life differently, try, try doing things maybe differently, thinking differently. And uh, we, we kind of concluded that and are about to jump into the Advent season here in a, a couple, about a week or so, actually, and decided to, to throw in the book of Mark in this, in this Come With Me series, because the book of Mark has so much in it about what it means to be a disciple. And now what we asked you to do uh, at the very beginning was to read the book of Mark as if it, it was the first time you've read it, and, and maybe don't even read anything else except that book. And you'll have to go back and listen to that sermon series to understand why I am holding this scroll and this, and this uh, small seven or eight pages. Imagining if you were back in Rome in that day, and that was, that was all that you had. So if those are the only pages of story about Jesus that you had, how would you picture him? How would you see him? How would you learn what it meant to be a disciple? And there is a theme verse in the book in chapter 10, verse 45, that says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, everyone say serve, serve. and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the servant. He didn't come to be lavished on, to be waited on, to be doted on, to be served, but he came to serve. Never did he exalt himself. Instead, he 
took the time to be with people, to walk with people, to talk to people. He healed people. He cast out demons. He did all sorts of really amazing things. And just before this 1045 verse, on several occasions, Jesus predicted or shared or maybe even prophesied about his own death. And he talked about how he was going to be arrested and flogged and mocked and spit on and killed, suffer, and how he would, how he would, his demise, what, how, how he would come to his end. And as you know, he was even one of his uh, favorite disciples even said, Jesus, what are you saying? And he was rebuked for that. And so not only did Jesus predict his death, but there were prophets of old who did the very same thing. In the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus walked on the planet, there are these five furtive sections of scripture called the servant songs. And in this, and I challenge you to to go ahead and read through these and see how beautifully these uh, like evolve from the introduction to the mission of this servant to his role as as an obedient, faithful servant. And then the suffering servant, the the scriptures out of Isaiah 52, 53 that we have heard so many times. And then the beautiful culmination in chapter 61, the triumphant servant. And in in that section, you will read the, the very famous few verses that Jesus actually read in his very first sermon. In the book of Luke, where he preaches for the very first time, he quotes out of 61 verses 1 and 2. And interestingly enough, as soon as he finishes preaching, they want to kill him immediately. They're like, wait, 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 wait. You can't be that guy. You can't be that guy that we've been waiting for for 700 years, that we've read about in all these different spots. And so they want to they kill him. So I feel like uh, I have that up on Jesus that I wasn't killed after my first sermon. So that's, that's kind of cool. So I want to read just some of these out of 52 and 53 because we are focusing on the suffering servant. Jesus as the suffering servant. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip them open to 52. But I'm just going to read a few highlighted verses. So 52, starting in 14. Just as there were many who were appalled by him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That line right there is amazing. The punishment that brought us 
peace was upon him. Think of the, think of the paradox there. Think of the, the opposite. Think of the antithesis, the peace that we receive and the wounds that he received. And by his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, that's us, and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the sufferings of his soul, he will see the light of light, light of life, and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jump to Mark chapter 15. Of all the stories, all the sermons, all the debates, all the dialogue, all the discussions that there are about Jesus, chapters 15 and 16 of Mark may be the most important portion of Jesus' life and the story of Jesus that there is. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, said so over and over and over again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings becoming like Him in death. The crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus are the most important thing that any of us can ever have on our mind. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to be asking you all to participate, and I will be giving you a question. And that question is, what does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean to you? What does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean to you? So I'm going to give you all sorts of answers to that question throughout here. So when the time comes for that mic to go around, hopefully you'll be able to draw from some of those. But I really want to hear from you. What does it mean to you? And there's no wrong answer on this, except for maybe that you want the Broncos to win or something like that. That would be a bad answer. But the idea is that 
for you and for me and for the person sitting next to you, it's going to be a completely different, a different reason. And, and you aren't going to get it wrong. You aren't, this isn't a pass-fail. Uh-oh, I failed the theology test for the day. No, there's none of that. Aren't you glad? Yes, amen. So if Jesus came to serve by, by conjecture... I think that not only did he serve while he was on the planet as a human, but I believe that he served before he came to the planet and after. In Hebrews it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For a long, long time. So if he served while he was here, he served before he got here. So how did he do that? One way that I think he did that was by creating this planet. The Bible tells us that Jesus created the planet. It says in Colossians chapter 116, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus made it possible. He served us, made this a fantastic place to live, even in Colorado with the four seasons. But he put the earth just the right distance away from the sun, and he made this one little thing float around it so that it helped our atmosphere work properly and where we are in the, in the, in the Milky Way and how much land we have compared to how much ocean we have and all that kind of stuff. He did all that for us so that we can live this life on this planet without a whole lot of trouble. And I think that's totally awesome. Another way he served us is by showing up prior to him coming in other forms, other ways. And those are called Christophanies. One of them, which is an amazing story, is when the people of Israel were exiled and there was this king named Nebuchadnezzar and he wanted everyone to bow down to him, but there were these guys that said, no way, I'm not going to. And when the alarm sounded for them, all the people to bow down, they refused. And so Nebuchadnezzar was mad and so he had them rounded up and he was going to throw them in a fire. And, the, and these three guys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you've probably seen the Veggie Tales story about them. Uh, Shack, Rack, and Benny or something like that. I don't, I don't even remember. But they were like, hey, king, nothing's going to happen to us. We're not going to die. And so Nebuchadnezzar was like, what? And it made him even more mad. He wanted the furnace turned up to seven times higher than, hotter than it, than it was. And they went in there. And, and, and they didn't die. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar even witnessed a fourth person in the fire with those three men. And, some, and he, he even says, it's, it's, somebody, it's somebody like the Son of Man that's in there. So Jesus shows up. He, he's, he's creative. And he serves by being present in the world in different ways before he ever comes as a human So he served us while we were here. So in chapter 15 here, really quick, how are some of the very specific individuals mentioned served by him? 
right off the bat in chapter 15. Pilate. How does Jesus serve Pilate? Jesus served Pilate. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus served Pilate by not getting defensive, by not arguing, by not talking back. Similarly to how we should be with our bosses and people in authority over us. Jesus doesn't pull a God card. Instead, Jesus just just very calmly, very kindly responds to Pilate's questions. The next guy mentioned is this cat named Barabbas. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Must have been arrested on January 6th. I mean, um, Barabbas was this insurrectionist of the day. And he was in jail. And the custom was that on Passover, you could, you could exchange one person for another, which I, I totally can't get my mind all around why that why was this way. But Barabbas is the one that the crowd, at like 5 o'clock in the morning, everybody... Jesus is crucified at 9 a.m. So if you think backwards from that point, this has to be like before dawn, that there's this crowd there asking for Barabbas to be released. So how does Jesus serve Barabbas? By making him a free man. He's, He's free. And I think it's fascinating when you think about what Barabbas' name means in relation to him being the one who is released. Barabbas is a compound name, Bar and Abbas. Bar is son of, and there's lots of Bar dudes in the Bible. And you've probably heard of a Bar Mitzvah. Bar Mitzvah is son of the covenant. So it's son of. There's a, there's a Bar Jonas, a Bar Jesus. There's a Barnabas. Son of encouragement. But this guy is son of Abbas, but that's Abba. Father. An endearing term. Just kind of crazy for a guy that was a rabble rouser, kind of built like Todd back there. Kind of looks like Barabbas to me. Just tough. But... He's the son of the father. He's the father's son. Released and exchanged for the father's son. Pretty wild. It says here in verse... Fifteen, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Then there's four words. He had Jesus flogged. The only time that that act that is inflicted on Jesus is mentioned, right here. And I, I I'm a little bit. Uh, uh, I'm intrigued when I see just a little short little statement like this, he was flogged, because I think about some of the others that are in the Bible that are very similar. And the one that 
strikes me the most is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, where, where it's referring to the creation. And, and the author there says, you know, he made the sun and the moon. And he also made the stars. He just made the stars. You ever been out in the desert where there's no light around? And there's, you look up in the sky, and there's just like, wow. Yeah, he just did that. Just for something to do. Just for us to stand there and go, wow. That's why he did it. For us to be amazed at his creation. For you and for me. He was flogged with one of these. Cat of nine tails. This is the Roman form of flogging. This is the tool that was used. It's got lead balls embedded in each strand to bruise and tenderize the skin. And bits of pottery that are sharp that would dig into the skin and tear where the lead ball had softened. And the flogger guy, whatever he's called, wasn't supposed to just strike the body with this, but was to embed and tear down to lacerate, to open the back, to expose the muscles, to make the person bleed. This is not a Hebrew flogging. This is a Roman flogging. And there is a difference. The Hebrews couldn't go over 40 times. That's why they always stopped at 39. This is a Roman flogging. They were allowed to strike the body as many times as the flogger felt like. Jesus' body. I, I don't know how a human being could live through it, honestly. So, Todd, you want to come up and we'll uh, demonstrate <laughs> what, this, what this might look like, huh? Pass. Whenever I hold this in my hand and think about the man that had to do this to Jesus, you know, what, what was going through his head? What did he know? How was, what was his perception of who this man was that he was flogging? Did he know that he was Jesus? Or was he just another man in line to get flogged like, like others were? I, really, I, I, I want to encourage you to, to read more about this. I have two books. One's called The Day Christ Died, and the other one's called A Doctor at Calvary. And these books only talk about the weekend that Jesus died. Minute by minute, hour by hour, what happened to him. It will astound you. It's fascinating. It will give you a much deeper respect for what Jesus went through.
And you are welcome to come and pick that up and imagine what that would be like. This crowd, think about this crowd. How does Jesus serve this crowd? This ignorant, blasphemous, rebellious group of ingrates. How does he serve them? He dies for them. He receives those stripes. Jesus' love for us has no limit. It is limitless. At no point in the whole process of being spit on, having his beard torn out, carrying the cross to Calvary, having every one of those stripes on his back, having nails pierced through his hands, hanging on that cross, dying of asphyxiation, never does he ever say, uncle. He never stops. He endures to the very end. He never pulls a God card. Oh, okay, I did my part. See, I'm tough. No, he had to go all the way. His love for you has no end. There is no end to what he, how he feels about you. Individually, the individual you. Not the God so loved the world me, but the me, me. He loves me and did that for me. That's right. <laughs> there is no line at which Jesus was willing to stop. Absolutely none at all. The ultimate definition of, weak, of meekness, power under control, hanging there, enduring all the things that he experienced, knowing what he could do. He doesn't. He walks out the punishment that is so beautifully described in Isaiah chapter 53. So there were these ladies that followed Jesus around wherever he went. Where are they at? Um, where are those ladies? 33? Yeah. Oh, some women, 40. Some women were watching from a distance among them, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Hoses, and Salome. So there was ladies that followed him through Galilee and you know, all those different places ministering to Jesus feeding the, that group and taking good care of them. And, and here they are. The, and now Jesus serves them ultimately in the end. And then this, this, this centurion. It's just so cool. It's all, all it says, summoning the centurion, he asked Jesus um, if he'd already died. And um, Actually, look up at 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, saw how he died, and said, Surely this man was the Son of God, a seasoned warrior who would probably run his spear through numerous men, saw Jesus dying on that cross and was in awe. How could anybody survive what he just went through? He's my hero. 
How did this centurion know all this stuff? I'm curious. And then he's resurrected. He comes back to life. You know, there are nine people in the Bible that are brought back to life. Nine different people. All other eight die again. Jesus is the only one that does not die again. And though it's beautiful archaeologically, we've never been able to find his bones. Nobody has the bones of Jesus. All right, how does he serve us now? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same before he came to the planet, as he was on the planet, and now. So how does he serve us right now? He serves us by sitting at, right hand, at the right hand of God the Father. The Bible says that right now, if God, if he, if God is sitting, it says if he, is, he says he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, he is sitting, if, this, if I'm God the Father, Jesus is sitting right here. And the Bible says that he is making intercession for you. He has the mental capacity to pray for every human being on the planet at the same exact time. <laughs> Honestly, I don't get that. But he does. You, your name, who you are, your situation, what's going on in your life, he is sitting there talking to Father about you. Your troubles, your pains, your difficulties, your stuff. He's interceding for you. He's experiencing amazing joy knowing that what he did is exactly what you need. You can't pay for the penalty of your own sin. Yeah, you die, but then you're separated from him forever. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin, for the things that we do in our life that separate us from him, is death. That's the only way that we can pay for that. And Jesus did that for us. He serves us by working miracles, working healing people's bodies. He, by creative miracles, he does that in people's lives today, friends. Today he does that. One week ago, I was in Managua, Nicaragua, at an evangelistic crusade. It was the ninth one in the nation. There will be nine more next year. The very first one started out with 25,000 people at it. The next night, there were like 40,000. Then they went to another city. As big as the field was that the government gave them to use, filled up. Friday night in Managua, Nicaragua, in this field, there were 140,000 people. And on Saturday night, when this picture was taken right here, 220,000 people. The vice president of the country, who is, a, who is not a very nice woman, was jealous because it was the largest single event in the history of the country. 
She flew drones over it to spy and said, if you, if you mention anything about our, for, our, our government, I'm turning the electricity off. You, you have no freedom of speech in Nicaragua. You have no freedom of press. You have no freedom to protest. They give you freedom of religion. They're communist. What did Karl Marx say? Religion is the opiate of the masses. You can go ahead and worship your gods, whichever one you choose. Because I know it will make you quiet. It will make you lethargic. You won't care about other things. Because you'll be so, as C.S. Lewis says, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. They don't care if this many people get together and worship Jesus. Just don't talk about us or we will kill you. But think about it, friends. I had the privilege of sitting on stage. I was part of the prayer team. I was supposed to be over, when, when the opportunities were there, going over to the prayer area and praying for people. But I was a little bit rebellious. And in that last picture, see there's like this line. I would walk along that front line right there. And if I saw somebody that was hungry for Jesus. Next picture, please. If I saw somebody that looked like this, I would lay hands on them. If they were just standing there, I walked right past them. But if somebody was hungry, if it looked like they were just like, man, I want as much as I can possibly get, I would reach my arm through and I would lay my hands on them. And even though I was praying in English and they knew not a word that I was saying, I believed that they could tell exactly what I was saying. And some of them would, <laughs> it's crazy what some of them did in their bodies when I laid my hands on their heads. It was very cool. So at one point they were asking for people, you know, healings. Hey, I went to the deliverance tent. OMG. It's scary. Seriously. There was this little lady, like this tall. She looked so sweet. But when they started praying for her, you'd have thought she was full of a, a 250-pound man. Blah! I mean, her voice just like totally changed. And, you know, she, I found out later she was saying, I hate you, and, you know, in Spanish to these people that were, that were praying for her. But this young man right here was in a motorcycle accident. His, like, every bone in his leg was destroyed. And, and like, he could, I, I, interestingly enough, I did see him prior to him getting prayed for. And he was, he could, he, he didn't, he could, he could, like, he could not, he could not put any pressure on one of his legs because it was so bad. It was mangled. It was, it was bad. But some people prayed for him and, hey! He didn't need that thing anymore. And I was watching that happen. I got so excited. There was a professional photographer. There was a photographer taking a bunch of pictures. I'm famous. It was cool. I watched people get out of wheelchairs. I saw a blind lady see. 
I saw a deaf person here. And you're probably thinking, yeah, it was all set up. It's not set up. It's real. And you're probably saying, well, why doesn't that happen here? Because we aren't hungry enough. We do our duty. We come to church. We, we sit quietly. We, you know, we're lethargic. We're not hungry. We are not pursuing him as aggressively as we could. Or I do believe this would happen around us way more. Yes, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit are omnipresent. They can be everywhere all at the same time. But I believe that, that, that they have favorites. I do. And I think that, and, and I don't know how this looks, but I do believe that, that where a person is hungry, what does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his, and his righteousness and all things will be added to. Seek first him. And I, I don't know how it looks, but I think that if you are a fervent worshiper, what does it say in John chapter 4? I seek those who worship in spirit and in truth. Is Jesus saying that? I seek those. I think God drives around. Well, it doesn't drive around. I think God floats around Castle Rock looking for places that are worshiping him. And if it's happening, I think he does something. And exponentially, if you are just standing and just like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm here. (laughs) They have sung this verse 14 times. 15, six, but if you're like, man, give it to me, Lord, I think, I think something happens. Like when I almost got struck by lightning one time, right? There's, there's, there's electrical power all around, Right? But when the lightning was about to strike, I could feel, I mean, every hair on my body stood up. I could, I could like, it was like in my ears. And then pow. I think it's like that. If you're, if you're in the epicenter of your worship for the God who created everything and came here to serve you, I think something is different about you. And you can lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. I think Jesus was excited to leave earth as a human because he... Oh, wait. Back, back. Okay, so they did this prayer altar call thing and they asked people to get saved, to get born again, to give their lives to Jesus. And then they also prayed for people that were lethargic and who had been kind of just in the doldrums. They did pray for people who were prodigals that had been raised in church and then ran away and for whatever reason found their way back. And they they did pray for people who wanted to recommit, as it were, or say yes to him again, or just just who who were just amazing believers but wanted just a little more. And then he said, get your phones out. 
Because they can't have 100,000 people come forward. It's not possible. He said, turn your flashlight on and hold it up if you answered that, answered that prayer. I'm talking tens of thousands of people saying, yeah, yeah. Gives me the goosebumps. Jesus was excited to leave the earth as a human because he knew who was coming after him. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. He was a human being, and I believe he, that's how he had to be. He couldn't just... He, he, he had to just be in one place at one time. But he knew Holy Spirit could be everywhere, affecting everyone's life with the same power and the same authority that he did. And Jesus always moves to the side. He's not a showboat. He serves us by pointing to Father and pointing to Holy Spirit. So, I asked you a question earlier. What does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean to you personally? So we're going to take a minute now and have you all answer that question. This is an interactive time. Remember, there's no wrong answer. What does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean to you, to me, personally? There's people with mics, so just lift your hand and they'll come running. Hi, I'm Bo. Hey, Bo. Um, it mean, means everything to me. It's freedom for me, my kids, my ki children's kids, everyone around me. Being able to walk into a room and bring the glory of God with me and touch everyone, um, it's everything. Amen. Amen. My name is Mulaney. Hey, Mulaney. And um, the death and resurrection of Jesus means I have life with him forever. Amen. Can't say anymore. <clears throat> it means you could stop. Oh, what's your name? My name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Everyone hey. say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. It means you could stop worrying and start living. Oh, God. <laughs> That's awesome. Over here. Um, I think, I think to me, um, wait, what's your name? Sorry, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Um, hi. I think to me, it's always meant that like, like, I think I'm keenly aware of how undeserving I am of being in God's presence mm. and that that death and resurrection of Jesus was just like this, like the, and the, the tearing of the curtain and all of the things have just been like a, I get to be in a space that I should not be. Like, I, it's just a very deeply reverent and holy oh, space that I'm allowed to be in. That's so good. I believe... Wait, what's your name? My name is Rick. Hey, Rick. I believe that he is the fulfillment of Torah. The, that everyone that spoke of him and the prophets and everything, that he fulfilled and will fulfill what is to come. And he is my Passover lamb who fulfilled that very scripture, which signified and made the stamp 
of who he is. Amen. It shows, it, it, was, it was proclaimed about him, and he, and he came and he fulfilled that. And he will fulfill the rest of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, Adam. Lord, the Lord had uh, just showed me, um, as you were speaking, asking the question, I've been working on a vehicle, so my mind's been there, but uh, kind of like when a car has like a leak, like an oil leak or, or some other fluid leak, and you have those treatments that you put in and they fill the crack temporarily. Like, I am a vessel that's cracked. I am a vessel that's, that constantly needs repaired. And Jesus is my filler. But he makes it on purpose so it's temporary. So that I have to continually to turn to him. He is an eternal being. He, continue, he will internally save me. Correct. But it says work out your salvation every single day. Amen. I am a cracked vessel. I will always be a cracked vessel. It is only because of him that I am worth anything. That That's I right. can do a job for him. Right. And I can hold his spirit and I can deliver it to others. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing, everybody right there. That's amazing. That's not a one-and-done thing, right? You, we have to keep going to him. We have to keep going to him. Uh, we got one from the text line that just simply said, true acceptance on every level. Wow. Um, my name is Joshua. Uh, I think the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, gives me the grace and power to suffer well with gratitude. Um, my name is Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi. Um, for me, uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything because he is the strength in my weakness. He's the hole in my emptiness. And without him, I am absolutely nothing. And But he's the one that makes me absolutely everything because oh, he's the one that the Father sees me awesome. through. Awesome. And I'm the one, or he's the one that the Father sees through me through, but um, he takes everything and makes it whole. Hello, Christian. Hey, Christian. Christian, and, uh, Christian, right behind each other. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, it's my salvation, and it's the proof of my value in him. Yeah, that's right. Um, I just think What's that your name? Oh, oh, I'm Noah. <laughs> Sorry. Noah. Um, I think that it's like, it's great to know that I have forever life with him. Uh, because I wouldn't even have my temporary life if it wasn't for him. That's right. <laughs> um, my name is Elijah. Hey, Elijah. And uh, when I think about Isn't the that death, cool name, what a great <laughs> that's a great name. When I think about the death of Jesus Christ, I think about the redemption that He's given us. Amen. Um, we are continuing to live a life in sin, but because of his death and his sacrifice, we are redeemed in his name. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what your name means, Elijah? Kind of? Kind of? Okay. Anybody else? 
Oh. I'm Margaret. Hi, Margaret. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the word says that we now have relationship with the Father. Jesus revealed the Father to us. And it means so much to me that I can talk to my Heavenly Father and he talks to me. Amen. <laughs> I hear him and that's a beautiful, wonderful salvation. That's right, because you're hungry. You are hungry. Okay, we're going to need to shut this down here. All right, I, I'll go quick. So my name's John. Hey, John. Um, just like I think it's Bo. Bo. Um, it's everything. Um, and the second word that came to me was love. The amount of love he had for us was it was endless. It was, um, mm -hmm. and how he wants us to do that to one another. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's right. Yeah. My name's Josh. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Josh. I have an analogy, kind of similar to Adam's earlier. What I thought about was I do a certain kind of breath work involves holding your breath at certain lengths of time, and. My thought about what Jesus has done as far as his death and resurrection is when you hold your breath, it starts off comfortable, but as time goes on, it gets more difficult until you're gasping for that breath at the very end. Um, and, and for me, that represents life. And there's different stages in our lives where we feel really good, and then sometimes we're desperate for that, for that breath. And so to me, it's that that end point of that desperation and you take in that breath that's what god symbolizes to me and jesus uh, in doing what he did for us oh, awesome. yeah. wow Amen. that's good that's good oh, Desiree. Okay. all right you're the last one right there okay. brad's the last one hang on right here right first over here over here first uh, my name is desiree <laughs> um yeah, to me, it means abundant life. It means purity. It means that I get to be his bride forever. <laughs> that I get to be with, with him um, in, in that intimacy, in that holy place forevermore. Amen. That's right. Last one, Brad. Brad, uh, I think of... One of the worst things that Christ probably went through, and you talked about it in Isaiah, is that he was despised and rejected. And uh, so I think through my life, and I've had periods of that, I don't know about you guys, but to know we are in good company. <laughs> so he, he died for that, so we can have life and not feel rejected, not feel despised when the world does that to us. Amen. Amen. Okay, so how the Lord wanted me to end this today was an opportunity for anybody here who has never given their life to Jesus to say yes to him, to put your faith in him, to say, okay, I've lived my life this way. I don't want to live that way anymore. To, to say yes to him, to say yes to his death, to say yes to his burial to his to his resurrection to say yes to him if you've never ever really done that today is that day that you can do it and then he also wanted me to pray for you if you are a prodigal if you are one who grew up in church and maybe walked away and now you're an older person and you just 
I don't know, maybe somebody bargained with you to come here today. I'll take you to lunch if you come to church with me. <laughs> well, maybe he was calling you. I also want to pray for people who are lethargic. You, yeah, you do come to church. You're pretty faithful, but man, you're just, you're just, you're just kind of boring. <laughs> really, think about it. You know, you, you, man, worship him. Light a fire. Change some things. Be hungry. And then maybe there's some people here that, you, I mean, you are on fire. But you want, you, it's okay to every day say, I'm working out my salvation today. Because every day I have to say yes to him. Before I put my feet on the floor, I should say, okay, I want to serve you one more day. So I want to pray for you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord God, that today would be the day of salvation for some, an opportunity to say yes to you for the very first time. I pray, Lord God, that names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life from this church building today, that people would say yes to you. I also pray, Lord God, for prodigals. I ask, Lord God, that some would turn their hearts back to you like never before. I ask, Lord God, that you would draw us close to you, make us hungry for you, Help us, Lord God, to, to, to not just play the religious game. Father, I'm not interested in just being a part of a, just a religious country club. Father, I want to be a part of something that affects people, that has influence on the kingdom, influence on eternity, influences destiny on people's lives. And so, Father, I pray that some, for some here, Lord God, that, that just, they just want to continue walking in you in great, great ways. Some that are just kind of, just kind of, eh, with you, meh, just kind of, just pursue you now in a different way. But Father, for the ones, Lord, that want to say yes to you for the first time, I pray, Lord God, that they would seek somebody out and say, now tell me more about this. Tell me more. We love you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.